together again, and it's great for us to be back. Mandy just said to me as we uh, began worshipping together, she said it's just great to be back in church. We had a a great um, holiday, two weeks down at Lawn, and it was just fabulous for us and the family, but we missed you. We thought about every time the services were starting and we wondered what you'd be doing, so it's great to see you together. Isn't it exciting with the seats uh, rearranged for multiple services and to be back together? Things are starting again and it's, um, it's wonderful to be together. A lot of things are starting up right now um, and this week if you've got kids you would have been putting them back into uh, school and starting up again um, and today kids church starts again. So uh, what you'll notice as you look in your news sheet is that um, part of our uh, duty of care, we want to care in every way we can for your kids and for you to know where they are and that they're safe and being looked after, is that you need to now sign kids in as you arrive and sign them in as you pick them up as well. And uh, every kids program, sign kids out as you pick them up. Uh, Every program of kids ministry will be needing that um, so that we can ensure that we're caring for your kids in the best possible way. So the one thing we'd ask you is just today as the service finishes, if you have kids in kids church ministries, just be prompt, if you can, to go and get your kids and sign them out and bring them back, um, and that would be great. Playgroup starts tomorrow, Youth United starts this Friday night, which is exciting, Breathe starting this Friday. There are a lot of things that are beginning, and we're um, very excited about that. You know, one of the joys in this last week that I've had was coming back from holidays, refreshed and excited for the year, And we arrived late Sunday afternoon and we came back and I came straight to the prayer focus week, which started with a whole night of prayer uh, right through Sunday night. And I I just got to say, it was a wonderful night. All through the night, uh, your church was at prayer. And every morning from Monday till Thursday this week and every night from Monday till Wednesday night, so morning and night sessions right up till Thursday morning, We've been praying together and it's been so exciting and so encouraging and I think uh, just all those 18 sessions that we've had together, which have been uh, almost all of them an hour long, uh, our church has been devoted to prayer and we've been laying everything before God and saying, God, 2007, we want it to be yours. We want to surrender to you. We want you to fill us. We want you to empower us and lead us into all that you're doing. And i just got to say, I'm excited about what happened this week. Um, I'm proud of our church, and I'm looking forward to all that God's going to do in answering prayers. So to everyone who led those 18 sessions, thank you. To everybody who came and prayed, thank you. And uh, I just think um, now as we look to see what God would do as we continue to pray right through the year, um, I'm excited that we've started this year like that. Uh, One of the prayers that we prayed for during the week was a planning weekend that has just occurred this weekend and um, one of the real answers to prayer I think was how this weekend went. Uh, We had a a planning retreat for uh, the pastors and the staff and the deacons this weekend. We went to La Trobe at Beechworth and over the weekend together we really sought to see you know what God might be saying to us as a church, what God might be saying to us to prioritise this year? What would be the two uh, main priorities that he would be wanting us 
as a church to focus on this year. And it was hard work, as you'll see. Uh, some of us didn't um, last uh, all the time. <laughs> Alan Cummins was a bit bushed by it all, but he did. It was great. It was a tiring weekend, that's for sure, for, for us. Um, but I, I, there was a real sense that all of us who were there, um, we really sensed that God really led us in a unified way and really spoke to us in a way where we came away feeling very united as a pastoral team, the staff and as deacons, and a real confidence that what, we've, what we sense the two priorities uh, for the year are were not our own, but were ones that we feel God's given us. And here's, here's what they are. The, the two kind of goals that we felt God was leading us to for this year, uh, for 2007, were to have every person at Wodonga District Baptist Church growing in spiritual maturity in Christ. Uh, we, we talked about that as our first goal, that uh, at the end of the year 2007, that we would look back and say, we have done everything we can to help you and I grow to spiritual maturity in Christ. We looked at different ways that we can do that and we'll share those with you in, in, in future times. But that was our first goal. And the second goal was to connect every believer into the church so that we can create a greater sense of identity and belonging. As a church, we want uh, each of us to feel like we're an important part of this church and that we belong here and that this is our home. Uh, we want this to be a place that is not so uh, big or busy or that you feel like you don't have a place and a, and a part of this church family. So the first goal, that every person at Wodonga Baptist Church grow in spiritual maturity in Christ. And the second one, to connect every believer into the church so that we create a greater sense of identity and belonging. We're excited. Do you think that sounds like a good idea? We'll be sharing more with that in, in future times. I must say that there was an overwhelmed sensing, sense of unity and togetherness and excitement. I also just want to let you know that there, uh, by another, another announcement is that Bible College students are heading off and starting this week as well. And I'm not sure if any are here today. Abraham Gunn, Abraham Gunn and Karis Pryor, they're going down to Bible College of Victoria starting um, new courses this year. Fraser Bremner's returning. He went back last week. And Mason Taylor is continuing his second year of studies by correspondence all at the Bible College of Victoria. And this week, Gail Hill and Mary Miles, they went down to um, Melbourne and did an intensive uh, week of study in Christian counselling studies. And it's just been great to see Gail excited and coming back and to hear how her and Mary uh, love that time. Um, it's, uh, it's great to see our people in our church uh, really growing in wanting to learn more about God and, and his word and how they can serve him. And I think it's been wonderful to think about the future implications for our church of people preparing for Christian ministry. Now, so could you encourage them and pray for them um, in, in this year? That would be great. Also, we want to let you know today that in your news sheet, uh, you, you'll notice that we're beginning a real significant step in our church's journey. Um, many of the significant times when we've looked to God and cried out to him has been when we've taken a step of faith for the future, uh, prayerfully, 
and it has been making space available for growth to happen. And in just four weeks' time, uh, the, uh, Sunday the 25th of February, we would love if each of us came together to, to church and bringing with us a special uh, free will gift, one-off gift that we would give uh, to God towards building extensions. Now, we've been pl- praying and planning uh, this for many years now together as a church. And it's come now to the time when we have uh, the, the approvals have gone through, everything's ready to go. As a church, we've uh, agreed this is the next step. And now it's come for us to come together and seek God. You individually in your own homes and together, husbands and wives, or you and your family. And to say, God, what are you saying to us as what we can give for a special one-off free will offering? Uh, we're taking a step out in faith and we're saying, God, what are you saying? What do you want to do? There's many benefits to the church extensions. Um, just a number of them. You'll notice that kids, if you have little kids, the little kids have to go over to the church office and uh, they have little kids off, uh, you know, operating in there. And at times the number over there has been up to 25 kids. And so can you imagine what it would be like, and some of you know this because you do it, if you have a little kid at Little Kids Church and then an older kid, to come here and to go over there, sign your children in, and then come back over to Big Kids Church, sign your kids in, and then come back again into the service as well. It's hard enough to get your kids up in the morning, get them fed, get them dressed, uh, to do that as well. And these, this, these extensions would mean that everything could happen in the one place. Uh, part of Kids Church too is they have small groups that have to meet out in the units. Uh, we, we are in one unit as you come into the church on the left-hand side. And some, some of the small groups have been meeting there because there's not enough room uh, to break up into small groups. And that would really solve that um, problem. You know, playgroup ministries would really benefit from having able to run playgroups concurrently next to each other in the morning, and that would be a great benefit. Um, I, I think all our kids' ministries would be benefit from the growth that will, and this will enable. Our kids' ministries are reaching out to the church in so many ways. CRE, Kids with Courage, Playgroups um, and Kids Church are all ministries that are reaching out to people in the community. We expect them to grow. And these steps are really taking steps of faith to say we need to have this uh, building able to cope with what we're looking forward to in the future. I think uh, our goal that we've identified, spiritual maturity, means that many of the things that happen during the week involve groups coming together and breaking up into different groups around the church. We've got things like Life Force, where people uh, are growing to become followers of Christ in every way, and, and they often take up many different rooms. We've got Breathe that have women coming and have Bible studies, and they need room, rooms for the various groups and for the kids to be looked after as well. And I'm excited about what the extensions would mean in terms of those uh, benefits. More room. It also means that uh, we don't have clashes when people say, I want to come on one of those nights when Life Force or another group is using the building, and you just can't find a space to, to have another meeting happening. The other uh, one which I just finally want to share with you of a benefit of, of them will be fellowship. You know, uh, our second goal comes out of a feeling that sometimes with uh, multiple services and the church continuing to grow, a sense of connectedness 
is, is a challenge for us as a church to ensure that people feel part of this church and together. And one of the exciting things about the church extension is that we'll have a coffee and tea area at the back as you come in on the right-hand side where you'll be able to continue to meet and talk with people while the second service begins. And if you're in the second service, you can go and stay there and, and have coffee and tea as well. It's a real way for fellowship to take place, for people to share and to talk and not feel like you have to move on quickly or to rush off. There are a few of the things that I think are so exciting about the church extension. So I'd, lo I'd love you to be thinking together, what can we give as a family? What can you give yourself to this? What do you feel God is saying to you to give at this time? Um, you, you'll see that the, the figures that uh, would be required to complete um, the, the building would be over $300,000. And uh, the good news is that we all already have a, a large portion of that saved, and that's all in the news sheet as well. So would you pray this week and pray in the coming four weeks as we look forward to what God might do. I want to uh, also share with you that um, we just are a church that is helping so many people um, so widely um, who find themselves in difficult positions. And uh, often people... Uh, find that they are in desperate need, many people uh, from within our own church family. And uh, what we have is a budgeted amount that we uh, put aside each year for people who are going through specific crises. And um, we, we have these funds available and we've come to a point already uh, where those funds have been exhausted. And we thought that it might be just great for you today uh, to have the opportunity just to give. We know many of you have not been prepared or not even known about this, so please don't feel uh, concerned if you haven't come prepared. But we would just love it today if you could consider giving uh, over and above your regular tithe and offerings so that we can just top up that emergency uh, fund so that people can be helped who have needs uh, at the moment and uh, need to be met. So we often link that with our communion service and today we'll be taking up a second offering. It rarely happens, but we're going to be doing that. And we just want to say, if you feel that God's saying, you know, you, you're able to give to that, well, we'd ask you to do that. Right now, Mandy's going to come and share just a little bit about what Breathe, uh, some things you need to know about Breathe. Glory to God in the highest. And we sing praise and thanks to God because he's a good God, because he's worthy of our praise. Uh, why is he worthy of our praise? Apart from the fact that he's the creator and the giver of life and that uh, he's, he's put us all on this earth and he has plans for us. The reason we're so thankful and want to praise him and give him glory is because he's so generously given to us. One of the most uh, well-known and well-loved verses uh, in the Bible is John 3:16, And it just says that for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We sing glory and praise and thanks to God because our God 
is a God who loves us and loves us so much that he sacrificially gave to us his own son. He wouldn't even withhold his own son so that we could come to know him and have life. It cost him greatly. Uh, God uh, heard the cry of his own son become flesh on the cross, saying, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And as his son took upon himself all the sin and the filth and the dirt of our lives, God allowed it to happen because he loves us. And he wanted to give us generously the gift of eternal life, the gift of relationship with God. That's why Paul, as he thinks about these things in Romans 8, 31 to 33, just says, what then shall we say about this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him generally, graciously give us all things? Paul was reasoning and he's saying, hey, if God is a God who would give his own son so that we might come to know him, would give us that, won't he give us all the other promises that he's given to us? So we come this morning thankful for Christ's death on the cross. And we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and have accepted his death on our behalf as the only way that we can be forgiven before God, we come and give thanks because we're filled with overwhelming thankfulness. And we come knowing that if God would do this for us, then all the other promises we can hold on to, eternal life, with us forever, uh, the promise of all that is to come. As we gather around this table and as we take the bread which represents his body which was was sacrificed for us. As we take the cup, which is the blood which was poured out, we give thanks for what God has done. Now, if you don't know that thankfulness, if you think it's all a bit um, strange, it's best for you just to leave this go and find out more about it until you can come to this table with thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you, until you've come to a time when you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only way for eternal life. But if you know him, share with us in this meal today. As we come, Tamara's going to lead us in prayer. Thanks, Tamara. Let's pray. Heavenly, merciful Father, thank you for reminding us again of your unfailing love and grace through the precious gift of your Son. Remember and confess that although we love you and long to do what is pleasing and right, instead we follow our own desires and do what we want rather than obeying you. But your word continues to give us hope when you tell us that you were made right again when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins and that we can all be saved this way, no matter who we are and what we've done. For though we've sinned and fallen short of your glorious standard, you've declared us not guilty and graciously freed us by taking away our sins through Jesus' death on the cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you for laying down your life for us, for each one of us, and freeing us from our sins. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, we come before you now with a deep sense of gratitude and overwhelming thankfulness for what you've given for each one of us, even though we're so undeserving of a gracious favour. 
We humbly thank you, Jesus, and ask you to renew our hearts and minds again. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, I want to just begin a series over the next four weeks talking about giving ourselves to God, uh, dedicating ourselves to him. Uh, Towards the end of our holiday that we've just been on, we asked the kids, we said, what was the favourite day that uh, you had in the you know, whole time we were away? And, you know, we thought they'd say things like the strawberry farm. We went and picked strawberries together at a farm near Lawn. Uh, we thought we'd, you know, they'd say watching the tennis you know, or something on the TV. But they actually picked a Friday of last week. And when we asked them why that was, there was a few reasons, but one came out really strong. It was a great day, the the weather was really good and so we all got to be on the beach and spend a lot of time there together and normally at this time of year it's still, it's warm here but in lawn it's not, it's exposed and the wind is there and you know when your kids are young, uh, going in, it's okay when you're going in the deep water but when you're with them in the shallows and they're on the boogie boards, you get wet and you just stand freezing for the rest of the time while they're in the water keeping warmer. You know what I mean? So I, I resisted as much as I could, you know, bo- body board, what are they called, honey? Boogie boarding with them. As much as I could, and I stuck to just making sandcastles with them. But on this day, it was just hot enough for me to jump in and do as much as I could with them. So I, I spent a lot of time with them. And then Mandy too went, you know, boogie boarding as well. Uh, with them. But then at the end of the day was the thing that clinched the day for them. We were hungry and uh, we had, you know, tea planned. Mandy had, uh, you know, something uh, really, not bad, was it? I think it was (laughs) pumpkin soup or something like that. Um, And um, as we were walking back, Mandy said to the kids and to me, she said, why don't we just get hot chips? And the kids just went, wow. You know, if you've ever been to Lawn, there's this fish and chip shop called the Salty Dog. And uh, it's just a beautiful fish and chip shop. And we got ourselves a little bit of sauce and we sat there in our bathers in a little streak of sun gathering around this box of chips and we just ate them right up. It was a kind of uh, generous act by a loving wife for the family. <laughs> <laughs> And the kids thought it was the best day in the whole two weeks that we had because of that. I just reckon when people are generous, it impacts people. And when it flows out of our love for the people that we're giving to, it it makes us just filled with joy and thankfulness. And our kids really demonstrated that in that way. I wonder whether you can remember when people gave something to you generously. Well, today, um, I'd love us to turn now together to 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. So if you turn over to 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. And I'll just read the first uh, nine verses. And over the next four weeks, I'd just love to work through that. Today, we're going to be giving you a lot of the context of the passage. We're going to be pulling out one major point today about giving yourself to God. But over the next few weeks, I'd love us to look through the different aspects of what the Macedonian church were like as, as, as giving and why they gave. So let me read to you one, uh, 2 Corinthians 
chapter 8. Now I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though they have been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they, have, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the gracious privilege of sharing in the gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. Best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes for their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord and to us for whatever directions God might give them. So we urge Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you to encourage you to complete your share in this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm and such love for us, now I want you to excel also in this gracious ministry of giving. I'm not saying you must do it, uh, even though the other churches are eager to do it. This is one way to prove your love is real. You know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus Christ was. Though he was very rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Um, this morning uh, I, I want us to um, look at this passage together. And I want you to note there it says in uh, verse 8, since you excel in every way, sorry, verse 7, it says, since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted speeches, such knowledge, such enthusiasm, and such love for us. Now I want you to excel in this gracious ministry of giving. Yeah, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote to them. And the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. You remember in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul addressed uh, with strong words uh, towards people who were um, falling into line under different leaders. You know, some say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Paul. And it looks like there were factions that were forming within the church in Corinth. Perhaps you remember that there were problems of sexual immorality within the church. There were also times of greediness where people came to the communion table and started just eating so much that some went without while others drank so much that they were getting drunk. So there was real greed going on and a lack of care in, in many ways. There were lots of problems. But Paul says to them, you have so much faith, such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm, and such love for us. So while there were problems, Paul encouraged them that they were doing a lot of good things too, a lot of things right. In faith, they had a strong faith in God. In knowledge, they had a deep knowledge of the Scriptures. They had such enthusiasm. They were full of zeal and full of passion as they served God. And their love, Paul says, you know, was obvious. 
I think what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth might have some good parallels for us as a church in Wodonga. Because um, I think over the years our church has had its share of problems, hasn't it? We're not a perfect church. And there has been times in our past where we could identify that, hey, like the church in Corinth, we've had times where there has been problems. But we've also got the traits that Paul was talking about in the church in Corinth. Paul would probably look at our church today and he would say to us that we were strong in faith in God. You know, I think we've grown in our faith over the many years that this church has existed. We're more than 50 years old, did you know? The church began here in Wodonga and it was a small country church. About 25 years later, there was a small solid group of members which moved to the growing part of Wodonga West and they began to call that part of the city their home. And this group was marked with great faith. They prayed for people to come to know Jesus. And they held some evangelistic crusades. There's one week in particular where the Reverend George Williams came along and they made a list of people who they were praying for. And by the end of the week of crusades and and, and messages, everyone on the list had come to know Jesus. There was a time when this church moved from the little home into the school. What a great step of faith. They moved out into the Wodonga High School and and started meeting there. Uh, It was... Uh, at that time when they were really in desperate need of more people and God laid it on their hearts to pray. They prayed for three families and God answered that prayer by providing three families that arrived at the church. They had great faith. Um, They took steps of faith later when they moved from the high school to the building that we're sitting in now. And this building is completely debt-free in every way. They built much bigger than was the current size of the congregation and they gave with faith. And now this building, our unit, our church uh, office, all paid off debt free. I'm thankful to that earlier generation of people that have been right through our church and today we have a church of great faith. And I think Paul would look at us and say, hey, church, you're a church that is strong in faith. And secondly, you know, Paul might look at us and say, uh, you know, he, he said, uh, you have much faith. He, you know, he says such gifted speakers or uh, such knowledge. You know, you, you have a lot of knowledge. I think Paul would look at us and say, as a church, we've got a lot of knowledge of the scripture. This church has been now in Wodonga for 50 plus years. And some of you have been part of this church for 10 years, 20 years, maybe 30 years. And if you have 52 weeks in a year, and perhaps you miss probably two weeks in a year, which most people would miss, maybe only two. (laughs) We want to be regular. And if if we assume that over 52 weeks, we miss two. That would mean that through a whole year, if you came every week, you'd hear 50 messages in a year. And in 10 years, that would be you'd hear 500 sermons. And if you came morning and night, that would mean you'd hear a thousand sermons in 10 years. So some of you have heard plenty of messages regarding God's word. 
many of you have heard and have a lot of knowledge that has come in over the time. You know, in, uh, I think about Alan Cummins. He was here in the early days. So that's 2,500 sermons over the 50 years. But he comes at night too, so that's 5,000 sermons. So it's no wonder he's looking so tired on that photo. Hey? <laughs> but he's heard so much of God's word and people that have been coming to this church have been hearing the word of God and growing in faith. And Paul would look at us and say, wow, you have faith. You have knowledge because you've heard so much. You've read, and for those of us that have given our lives completely to Christ and surrendered our lives to him and have realised that God requires those who follow him to know him, and the way we do that is through reading his word. And those of you that have been transformed and have wrestled yourself into a daily quiet time out of the knowledge that you know God wants you to read his word every single day and pray to him then that means 365 days a year you've been in God's word. You've had it open and you've been praying. You've been saying, God, speak to me. And for those that are followers of Christ, that's true for us. So as a church, Paul would look and say, many of you have so much knowledge and you have so much enthusiastic people here. He says, it's such enthusiasm And I've seen so many people that are so zealous for for God's work. They love it. People that are here doing so much in serving, people that are ministering in this way or serving in that way or on this kind of team out in the community where they're actually being part of helping something else but using their gifts and building creativity and praying that God would use them in the situation where they are. God has given us gifts and many of us are enthusiastic in using them. And love, Paul says. You've got such love for us, I think we know that that's here at our church, a great, deep, loving church. And then Paul says, now, I want you also to excel in the gracious ministry of giving. And Paul was saying uh, to them, I want you to excel. I want you to excel at giving. Now, in the dictionary, that means to do better than others. Excel assumes that there's a standard, you know. And I think, um, you know, the standard for Christians uh, seems to be clearly, from my understanding of the Scriptures, that 10% was what the Old Testament taught, what Jesus, um, you know, talked about, although he didn't make it as a, a, a rule. But it's, it strikes me incredible that... Um, Jesus was caught up for a lot of things, breaking the Sabbath. You know, people said a lot of things about him. But do you notice the Pharisees never once criticised him about his giving and not tithing? And yet the Jewish faith was all clearly um, on tithing and continuing to do that. So I believe uh, we can look and think it's, it's obvious that Jesus would have been someone who was fulfilling the Jewish requirements. So Jesus would have tithed. And I think... As we come to the New Testament, the law is, uh, the grace of God is what we want, the generosity of spontaneous giving to be there. But the benchmark for Christians is the principle of tithing and then giving free will over and above. And I I think what happened here is, is Paul says, excel, which means to do better even than the kind of what's expected of, of normal followers of Christ. 
excel. In the dictionary, that's what it means, do better than others. It talks about comparison. It talks about, you know, actually looking at the standard and beating it. I wonder, as we look at Paul saying this to the people there, what was the context? What's going on around this passage? Why would he be writing this to the church in Corinth? Well, let me just quickly uh, give you the context, and this will be helpful for the weeks ahead. But Paul uh, was a Jew, and he was a Pharisee. And by, he was trained and taught by the greatest rabbis of his day. Uh, he was excellent at what he did. He, he was uh, meticulous. He was diligent in what he did. And when it came to persecuting Christians, he was good at that too. Uh, he persecuted them and, and pursued them ruthlessly. He got letters of approval to have them thrown in jail. And you know, there's, a, there's the stoning of Stephen in Acts where Paul is standing by holding the coats of people and approving of what was taking place as Stephen was killed, stoned to death. So Paul was good at that. And then on the road to Damascus, he comes face to face with the risen Christ. And, and Christ comes and he says, Saul, Saul, because Saul was his name before he became Paul. He said, why are you persecuting me? And what happens is Paul's life was so transformed by that encounter with Christ that he became his follower. Not only that, on the road to Damascus, uh, the risen Christ spoke to him and said, I want you to go to the Gentiles. Now, for Jewish people, this was a paradigm shift. This was a complete flip over from what was currently happening up to that point. Um, it was a whole new way of thinking. The Gentiles up to that point were seen as not being favoured by God. You know, the Jews were God's chosen people that he would work through. Um, but here, Paul is being called, commissioned, sent to the uh, Gentiles to share the gospel with them as a priority. Now, this caused a lot of problems, especially among the church in Jerusalem. Um, and there came a time when Paul was actually brought up before the authorities in Jerusalem, before the church there, to explain what he was doing. And uh, this happens in Galatians chapter 2, where Paul comes before the church in Jerusalem. And why don't we turn to Galatians chapter 2 now? Why don't we turn over there? It's actually just the next book across to the right from 2 Corinthians. So Galatians chapter 2 is where Paul comes before the church in Jerusalem. And here's what he, he, he says here in verse 8 to 10. He says... In fact, James, Peter and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognised the gift God had given me and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. The only thing they suggested was that we remember to help the poor. And Paul adds, and I certainly have been eager to do that. 
So Paul goes back and he speaks to the heavies in Jerusalem and they all agree with, with, with him after discussions. And they say, okay, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, it's okay. We understand now that God's called you. You can go and share the, gospels with, uh, the gospel with the Gentiles. While James and Peter and John, they will continue to give themselves to evangelizing or sharing the gospel with the Jewish people. So that's what happened. And they said to Paul, the one thing... Uh, that we want you to do. The one thing that we want you to remember as you're doing this is we want you to remember the poor. Now, at the time, the church in Jerusalem uh, were right in the heart of Roman, uh, uh, Roman-occupied territory. And the Jewish people who left the Jewish faith to become followers of Christ were on their own and were often suffering because they were sort of put, pushed aside and were not cared for as other uh, Jews or even as the Romans were. It was a struggle for them. And many of the Jews in, uh, in the Christians in Jerusalem church were struggling. They were suffering. They were in dire straits financially because of their faith in God and the decisions they'd made to follow him. And they didn't have much money. So Christians found it very hard and they struggled at the time. So when Paul says, um, look, I'm going off and uh, I'm going off to look after the Gentiles, the Jewish Christians say, well, whatever you do, don't forget the poor because we're struggling here in Jerusalem. And if you're going over to all the rich Gentiles and you're going to convert them, when they do become followers of Christ, don't let them forget that we, the ones that have sent you to them, are struggling. And we're poor. And Paul says, sure, that's what I was going to do anyway. You know, don't worry, I'll do that. And then we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and if you just turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 with me, and right at the start of that chapter, we see Paul now uh, putting this into practice. The promises that he made before the church at Jerusalem, for the authorities at Jerusalem, he comes in and he says, In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, Now about the money being collected for the Christians in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedures that I have, that I gave to the churches in Galatia. On every Lord's Day, each of you should put aside some amount of money in relation to what you have earned and save it for this offering. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the, messages, uh, for the messengers you chose to deliver the gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me also to go along, then we can travel together. So Paul writes that to them. Uh, here's Paul telling here, the church in Corinth now, I'm going to be coming, and I'm going to be coming, so you better start collecting and gathering money on the first day of the week so that we can give it on when I arrive and I can take it from you and I can take it from you Gentile churches and church in Corinth and I can take it from other Gentile churches, this offering, and I can go back and I can give it to the church in Jerusalem and to other Jewish churches so that they can be blessed by what you're being blessed by, by knowing the gospel. Everyone's still with me? Yeah. Good, good. (laughs) So why would Paul want to do this? Well, I think it's just two reasons that come straight to mind. Uh, the the G- Gentiles had been blessed 
in Corinth by getting the gospel. Their lives have been transformed. They had, uh, you know, now had all these spiritual gifts that God had given them. They had known uh, the, the gospel. They had now been starting to show this faith and this love and this joy that Paul was talking about. They, they had been growing in knowledge and, and wisdom and love. So they were thankful. And they're sharing, this had only come about by the Jews sharing their faith with the Gentiles. And so they were thankful and they couldn't really pay them back with spiritual, uh, you know, things. So they showed how Jesus had impacted their life and the gospel had impacted their life and their thankfulness by giving this gift back, this financial gift to those that were poor. The second reason, so first, because they've been blessed spiritually, they just wanted to give back to those that have blessed them. And secondly, I think it was for unity. You know, the Jews would have been God's chosen people and why are these Gentiles coming in and hearing the gospel now and then going off and this is not right, some of them would have been saying. But then those grumblers or murmurs who were saying, hang on, you know, uh, why are all these Gentile people getting the gospel when it should be for us? When they received this gift and saw the gracious generosity that came freely from the Gentile church, the Christians in Jerusalem would have given thanks to God and been blessed and said, isn't God doing incredible things? These people are excelling in giving. It would create incredible unity amongst the churches. So that's why Paul writes to Corinthians and that's why he's been writing the whole letter and he comes right up to chapter 8 and now he starts to talk specifically about the details he's encouraging the church in Corinth uh, to, to actually do, what he's wanting them to do. He, he's saying, well, you know, what we talked about back in 1 Corinthians in my previous letter, now I want you to follow through on. Now I want you to, to give in the way that we discussed. Do what we were talking about. So what was Paul uh, going to use to encourage them to give? I think as we look at 2 Corinthians and chapter 8 and as we look at this passage in the remaining minutes, I want you to notice a few things that Paul does. He uses, as we talked about, excel in every way is a comparison. He talks about the Macedonian church. And he talks about how they had given and the way in which they had given so generously. And he encourages the church in Corinth to follow what they've done to do what they've done. And um, I want you to notice how it starts. Now, I want to tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, what God has done in his, ki- what God in his kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. And then he says how they've given so generously. He said, though they've been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflown in rich generosity. For I can testify, they gave not only what they could afford, but much more. They were excelling in their giving when it came to generosity. So Paul explains that the church in Corinth, to them, what had happened in Macedonia, and it seems that the church in Macedonia were also a very poor church. They were struggling and they didn't have the funds available. They're going through tough times. Look what it says. They were going through much trouble and 
hard times. I can think of many people that are going through much trouble and hard times in our church. I mean, we come across people every day who are really struggling to make ends meet. And uh, I know for you who are farmers and who are, uh, are really continuing to feel, I want to keep trusting you all the time, God, for the future. But everything you have seems to be getting less and less. And I think some of these words here, like hard times and much trouble, could relate to our farmers. Some of you are looking for employment. Others of you are facing uh, operations and um, surgery and constant uh, bills associated with that. Much trouble. Much trouble. There's a lot of similarities to us, not only with the church in Corinth, but the church in Macedonia. And Paul says, but even in their troubles, their wonderful joy, joy in their troubles? No, no, no. Their wonderful joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ and knowing that everything that they had was from him and everything belonged to him and that, that he was at work in their lives. That's where joy comes from. Joy is the fruit of the spirit. And if you have joy in your life, it's flowing from having a genuine relationship with God, God's spirit at work in you. So these had wonderful joy in the midst of their deep poverty and that overflowed into rich generosity. Paul says, I can testify that they not only gave what they could afford but so much more. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. It's a challenge to us because the first thing that we tend to do when we're in hard times is to say, I can't afford to give. I can't afford to give extra than my tithe. And then some people say, well, I can't even afford my tithe. And we start to say to God, we know better than you (laughs) about what you want us to give. And we find ourselves getting into more and more difficulty and our joy goes and our worries <coughs> cause us to stop worshipping. These people had joy that came from their relationship with God and they excelled in giving. Secondly, uh, they gave joyfully to God and it comes out there so clearly. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that God loves a person who gives cheerfully. They, they found delight in giving. And, and this showed that they not only gave joyfully, but they gave freely. They did it out of their own fear. No one was forcing them. Paul wasn't having to twist their arm or say, come on, what are you doing? They gave freely. Look what it says in verses 3 to 5. They did it out of their own free will. Look at what they did, this Macedonian church, this poor, troubled, struggling church. They begged us again and again for the gracious privilege of sharing in the gift of the Christians in Jerusalem. They would have been, if they were available, text messaging Paul, emailing him, saying, when can we give? When can we give? Give us the opportunity. Please, let us give. 
We don't want to miss out on the joy and, and the opportunity to give. And Paul says, best of all, they went beyond, beyond our highest hopes. The church was incredible. Paul reinforced that the way they gave was right, freely, when he said in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. You know, I just got to let you know that I, as your pastor, never want you to feel that you're being pressured into giving in any way. I only do everything I can right through our ministry together as his church to ensure that that happens, that you're not feeling that. Um, and, and, and the other thing that I want you to know is that if you're feeling reluctant to give, then pray that God would give you the feeling that I'm able to freely give to God. And do a heart check. Check what he's saying to you. Because he wants us to give freely to him. And then finally, the key to this whole passage that makes it possible is the reason this Macedonian, Macedonian church was so uh, able to excel and to blow over all the expectations of what Paul had thought is found in verse 5. Best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes for their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord and to us for whatever direction God might give them. This is the real issue when it comes to giving to God. You can't give to God financially. Uh, you can't give to God your time. You can't give to God your prayer if you haven't given your whole self to him. If you have given your whole self to him, you, you'll be able to give to him freely, generous, generously and exceed expectations. If God owns me, he owns my wallet. He owns my diary. He owns my gifts and ministry. If he doesn't own my heart, he doesn't own any of those things. The Macedonian church were so incredibly generous in the midst of trouble and hardship, not because they, uh, you know, wanted to outdo other people or they wanted credit or they wanted to do things for any other reason. For them, it was a natural outworking of the fact that they had dedicated themselves to God. They gave themselves to God. The question I just want to ask you this morning is have you dedicated yourself to God? Have you given him your whole life? Have you given him your business, your farm, your kids, your relationships, you've given him your uh, talents, your ministry, your time, you've given everything to him. Paul says in Romans 12, and we could turn to that finally, he says in Romans 12 and verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I plead with you. 
to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will accept. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Give him everything. Let them be a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice to God, the kind that he will accept. Then in Malachi, God said to the people that were coming and bringing up little lambs that were sort of one leg hobbling and one eye missing, if people were picking up those lambs and giving them an altering, giving them to God, God said, I don't want your blemished sacrifices. I don't want your leftovers. I want all of you. I want you to give me everything, your whole lives. I want you to dedicate who you are to me and to get on the, sacri- on the altar and sacrifice your life. God's not looking for uh, people that give a lot of money just like that or people that are really talented or people that are able to go into full-time ministry because they're available. What God is looking for is people who will give their hearts to him first and foremost above all. I just want to challenge you that if you have never done that, there's no better time to do that now and there's no better time to make that decision for the God who loves you and put you here and put you as part of this church and gave you all that you have now and wants to give you so much more. The start of giving generously, of living a generous life, is surrendering everything you have to him, the one who made you, the one who owns everything and has put you as a steward in his place. Let's pray together. God, I pray for our church. I pray that we would be uh, the church that continually dedicates ourselves to you in everything that we do. And God, that we might flow and overflow in generosity. Not because of anything else, but for the fact that we've dedicated our lives to you first and foremost. God, we pray that poor people will be helped because of our generosity. God, we pray that all that you're wanting to do through our church in terms of future extensions and buildings, in terms of future ministry and staff, in terms of everything that you want to do, would not be hindered as you lead us to those things because we've given ourselves to you. God, we surrender ourselves to you. God, I pray right now for those that have never given their lives to you, those who are afraid at this time, those who fear, those who know that it's self-centeredness that's stopping them from surrendering their lives to you. And I ask, God, that you would be challenging them and speaking to them. If that's you right now, maybe you just want to say, God, I want to do this. I want to give my life to you. Now, God, we thank you for all you've taught us and we ask for your continued guidance as we surrender our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
God's been speaking to you this morning about surrendering your whole life. Come to the front and pray afterwards. We'd love you to do that. But right now, uh, we would just want to encourage you as we come to, uh, to give to the people, just out of, um, to, to give to the people that have got the most pressing needs in the emergency fund, the budgetary item, we're just wanting to top up. We'd just love you to consider to do that now. And we know many people haven't been, uh, haven't known about it, and that's fine. You could just put it in an envelope next week if you wanted to, just mark to that. But uh, we just want to take up that offering right now. And um, uh, while you're doing that, we'd love you now to just take out your blue card first and to just to respond. Um, it'd be great if you just put your name on the front. Um, it would be great if you could respond to what you think God's saying to you this morning. Is he asking you to surrender an area? And Maybe you need prayer for that. Maybe you're wanting to make the decision this morning to become his follower. Maybe you're not sure and you want to talk more about that. If you just ticked, I, I, you know, I'd like more information about how to settle the issue of if I was to die, where I'd, whether I'd go to heaven. We'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to chat with you. So why don't you just respond in these next few moments as we prepare to give. Let's, let's fill in those cards.